0: Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So we are we're about to close 2013, and uh, we're going to do it by finishing up our series that we've been in over the last few weeks called "Self on the Shelf." All right. And um, we have we've had a lot of cr- a lot of fun, and uh, you guys maybe have had underwear thrown on your head by Santa or. You know, we've, we've seen dancing elves and weird, awkward moments with recorders and stuff like that. So hopefully, over the last couple of weeks, we've tried to have a lot of fun with this. But my hope, and our team's hope as we've been in this, is that all of you guys have been challenged in, in some significant ways in your faith. And uh, just to catch all of us up, maybe this is your first time, or you missed a week or whatever. The first week of this series, we introduced and talked about... The problem, and the problem is this thing called self, that we get in the way of what God wants. And uh, in fact, that first week we said that self is the great enemy to our life in Christ. That self often gets in the way and prevents us from the life that God has for us. And so, then last week, in uh, before all the chaos of what happened, uh, Cody did a great job of talking about the solution to this. That if self is the problem, that the solution for all of us is to learn how to deny ourself. Alright, or to put it more bluntly, to die to ourselves. Self must die. That that's how we're able to experience the life that God has for us. And so, that's kind of what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And the, the reality is, is that in order for us to experience the kind of life that God has for us, we've got to learn to give ourselves away. We've got to learn to surrender. We've got to learn to put ourselves aside and to allow God to have free reign in our life, whatever he wants to do. That that's what it's going to require in order for us to experience the life that God has planned for us. Now, I think where we stop right there and where we're going to pick up tonight is where a lot of us in the room are. I think there's a lot of us who we get the fact that we're selfish, We understand that reality that we get in the way, that we mess things up, that we fall short, that we screw up a lot of times what God has for us. And we even understand what we talked about last week about the need for us to deny ourselves, to give up our rights for ourselves, to allow God to do what he wants to do in us and through us. But I think for a lot of us, we don't do it. And the reason why is because we want to know how it's going to turn out. We want to know what the result is going to be. So if I'm really willing to give up my life, if I'm really willing to put myself aside and allow God to have free reign in my life, what is going to happen to my life? What does God have planned for me? What is the result going to be? What is my life going to look like? Because I think sometimes we still feel, maybe even in the back of our minds, that what we have planned for our life is better than whatever God may have planned. We still want control. We still want to do what we want to do. We want to know how this is going to turn out before we're willing to truly surrender and give our life over to Jesus. And because we maybe don't know or don't know exactly what that's going to look like, we sort of hold on to it and we're a little bit reluctant because maybe we even feel like our plans are better. A couple years ago, my uh, Angie and, uh, and the kids and I, we were, it was time to take family pictures. And so, we, um, my kids by now are conditioned to, to know when to smile and all that. My father-in-law is a photographer. Angie likes, loves taking pictures at any drop of the hat. And so, you know, if, if there's a camera nearby, my kids automatically are like, you know, because they, they, they know the drill. But a couple years ago, that wasn't the case. And so, it was time to take family pictures. And so, Jad, our middle child at the time, was around three and so we we brought a friend in, we drove about an hour away to this place where we we're gonna take family pictures. And we get all set up, we're about ready to take it, and then Jad just decides that he's not happy. Like he's not having it. The last thing he wants to do is to take family pictures. So he's just he's just been out of shape, he's upset, and so you know, we're we're trying to you know you know, trying to get him to focus, and we're getting a little bit frustrated, and we're like, just smile, just stop crying, smile, you know, that that whole thing. And the more we talk to him, the, more, the worse it gets. And so finally he says, I want a sucker. And, um, and so I, I'm like, buddy, we, you, can't, you can't have a, a sucker right now. Um, we're getting ready to take family pictures. We just can't do it. And so telling him no was just the last thing he wanted to hear. So that, just, that took it up a notch for him. So, I mean, he's throwing a fit, he's crying, he's upset, the photographer's like, what do I do? You know, we're, we're getting frustrated, the other kids are like, Jad, what's his problem? And so, it just, it turns into this big dilemma. So, finally, I, I decide I'm going to reason with my three-year-old. So, I pull him aside, I'm like, Jad, buddy, listen, you can't have a sucker right now. Alright, it won't look good, you holding a sucker in the picture, that'll look weird, uh, you know, you'll have your hands will be sticky, your mouth will be all sticky. You, you just can't have a sucker right now. He goes berserk. I'm like, listen, I promise, we've got something incredible planned as soon as we're done. So if you will just smile real big for like 30 minutes or 45 minutes, we'll be done, and then we've got mom and I have something special that we're going to take you guys to do. So, buddy, if you'll just trust me and do what I'm asking you to do right now, it'll be better off. Well, he didn't care. Because all he knew at that moment was, I'm not getting a sucker. And he wanted a sucker. So an hour later, painfully, we got through the process. All right? And still some of the pictures as we flip through, dad's are like, you know, he's all upset. He's still in a fit. It's crazy. We got maybe used one or two pictures. But we finally got done about an hour later. We hop in the car and we drive to this place called Red Robin. Now, how many of you guys have been to Red Robin? What? All right, for Christmas, you need to go to Red Robin. So if you haven't been to Red Robin, Red Robin is, there are some elements of Red Robin that could potentially be like heaven one day. All right, you walk in, and especially for little kids, you walk in and there are TVs under the floor that you can see. Like you look down and you can stand on a TV. It's amazing. You walk in, there's video games on the side. The the kids are given balloons the minute they walk in. Uh, then we go to our table and they can order anything from the menu and they've got great you know, kids food and they've got these fries and you can pour the salt stuff or whatever the seasoning is on it. It's awesome. And then you get these crazy cool drinks with these great cups. I mean it is amazing. And so we're sitting there at the table. Jad's got a big smile on his face. I mean it's just this awesome thing where he's having a lot of fun. He's got like six balloons. Two of them have gone up in the ceiling already. But he's just a happy kid. And I look across the table and I'm like, buddy, see what, remember when I told you when we were taking pictures, if you would just trust me, if you would just smile for a little bit, if you would just do what I asked you to do, that we, mom and I had something better planned for you. We had a better plan for you and, and this is it. And isn't this so much better than just some stupid sucker? Now, if you want to test your patience, try reasoning sometimes with a three-year-old. And yet, I think sometimes that's how God feels when we choose or when we feel like in our own mind that what we want for our life is better than what God has for our life. I mean, it's like God is trying to reason with a three-year-old and trying to get sometimes us to understand, look, I know that you want that. Look, I know that's what you think is best for you right now. Look, I know how much you, you desire that right now. But what I'm telling you is that I've got a better plan for you. And if you will just trust me, if you will just do what I've asked you to do, if you will just follow me, then I'll promise you in the end you will experience something better than whatever you think it is in the moment that you want to experience. The truth is for a lot of us is that that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand about our life. That the the desire for for us is to deny ourselves and to surrender control over to him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus is talking to the people and he says this. He says, seek my kingdom above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And if we claim that we're followers of Jesus, if we want to follow after God, what we've got to determine in our mind is that God's kingdom is the most important thing in our life. We've got to be willing to seek the kingdom of God above all else. And what that means is that we surrender everything and we're willing to trust him. We're willing to pursue Jesus. And that we've got the only thing that matters to us in the way that we live our life is building God's kingdom, is seeking God's kingdom. The problem is we will never be able to fully seek God's kingdom as long as we think our own kingdom is worth holding on to. As long as we're interested in building our own kingdom, in other words, if we're self-interested, if we desire the things that we want, if we're interested in our happiness or our comfort or our future or our plans, as long as that's what the focus is, then we will never be able to fully seek God's kingdom above all else. And we can't have it both ways. I think there's there's probably some of us in the room who we say that we're about building God's kingdom. Or we want to build God's kingdom. But yet we also want to hang on to our own kingdom. We also want to make sure that we're going to be safe and comfortable and happy and secure. And that our future or our plans or the things that we want to accomplish that we're still able to do that. But what it truly means to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus means that the only kingdom that we're interested in is his. That's the only thing that matters. And we put our plans aside, and we put our future aside, and we put our happiness or our comfort or our satisfaction aside, and we're about the only thing that matters, and that's building God's kingdom. And we can't have it both ways. We can't selfishly desire to hang on to our life and do what we want to do. But still experience the benefits of a life fully surrendered to Jesus. We can't have it both ways. Either we've got to choose to continue to try to build our own kingdom. And make ourselves happy and do what we want. Or we've got to give up it in its entirety in completion. In order to fully surrender and seek after God's kingdom. Here's the question that I'd love for all of us over the next couple of minutes just to think about. When it, and, and don't think about anybody else, but just yourself and your own heart, your own relationship with God. Does Jesus have your whole heart or just part of it? Is there any area of your life, is there anything in your life, is there wh- anything whatsoever that you are holding onto and keeping away from Jesus? Does he have your whole heart or just part of it? I believe that that God will orchestrate events and circumstances and bring us to to the point where we have to answer that question often in our lives. It's not just a one-time decision that we can make. It's a consistent day-by-day decision. And God will bring us to situations and to those moments where he's going to ask us, what are you most interested in? Do I own your whole heart or just part of it? Now, I've been brought to several of those moments over the course of my life. And one that is the most vivid and that stands out the most to me is when I was in college. And uh, some of you guys may have heard the story, but when... um, when I was in college, and you guys know, I was in a, in a band with some guys, and we were boys in a band, but we weren't a boy band, all right, just to make that clarification. So there was, uh, summer had come up, and there was an opportunity for us to, um, to go out to Texas and to do the music at this camp. And there were a few hundred students that were going to be there. It was going to be a great opportunity. And it just kind of fell into our lap. And so we started talking about it, Like, man, this would be a great opportunity. This would be really exciting for us. And so we're all, we're all ready to do this thing. And so a couple days later, I go to, uh, to work. And I sit down with my boss. And I say, hey, here's a, a week, these dates that I need off. I've got something that came up. And it's just a great opportunity. So I need, I need to be able to get off for, for this week. And so she looks at the dates and she says, hey, listen, I'm sorry, there's, there's nothing I can do. I can't approve you to have off that week. Uh, it's going to be a busy week. This is our peak season and there's just a lot of stuff going on and we're not approving any time off for that, that period. And so I'm sorry, but you're going to have to work during that week. So, you know, I, I get up from, from that meeting and I, I get on the phone and I say, hey, we, we're not going to be able to do, to do that camp. And, um, and so I'm, I'm a little bit upset. I mean, I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm like, man, that would have been a great opportunity. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I mean, there's nothing I can do. I've got this job. This is important. I need this. And so I was just resigned to the fact that it wasn't going to happen. The very next day, very next morning, I'm spending time um, studying and praying or whatever. And I came across this passage in Matthew chapter 6. And that verse, when I read that verse, it said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And it was one of those moments in my life where those times where I've heard God speak as audibly as I ever have. And the message was very clear. It was, Todd, you need to go to that camp. And, uh, and so I'm, you know, I'm like, well, you know, God, you, you know that I had that conversation with my boss yesterday and she wouldn't approve it and there's nothing I could do. I mean, I want to go, but I can't because I've got this job. And again, the voice, Todd, you need to go to that camp. And then I start reasoning with God, which is never, it never turns out well when you start telling God all the reasons why you can't do what he wants you to do. So I'm like, God, you don't understand. I mean, I've got this job. I need this job. I've got to have money to be able to do X, Y, Z. And I tried to get off. I want to get off, but I couldn't get off. And there's nothing I can do. And it's not like you want me to quit my job or anything crazy. And, you know, the, the dialogue continues for a few, for a few minutes, And the more pushback I gave to God, the stronger the voice became. Todd, you need to do this camp. And I had to take a step back, and the question that that I knew that God was asking me was that question. Todd, do I have your whole heart, or do I just have part of it? Have you fully surrendered to me and allow me to dictate what you do and don't do, or are you still trying to hold on to your life? And it was one of the most convicting moments that I've ever experienced where I, I remember getting on my face and just going, all right, God, I'll do it. God, this doesn't make sense to me. God, I don't understand what you're up to. But I'll, as, as little sense as it makes to me, God, I will do it. And so I pick up the phone and I say, hey, we're, you know, we'll go ahead and do that camp. The next day, I go back into work and I sit down again with my supervisor and say listen I know you told me I couldn't have those dates off I know it's a big deal but listen I've I've got to have that week off I mean this is a big deal I can't really explain why but I just I need to have that week off and she looks at me and she says listen I'm sorry there's nothing we can do I can't give you those dates off you're gonna have to work and I remember taking a a deep breath and going well I'm sorry but I'm gonna have to quit I'm going to have to turn in my two-week notice. And so, you know, she's caught off guard. She's like, seriously? And I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, this is, this is a big deal. I'm going to have to do this. And so I remember turning my two-week notice in from a job that I liked. And I remember walking away from my boss's desk going, all right, God, I just think and quit my job. So I don't know what you've got planned. I don't know what you're doing. But this, you know, almost like this better work out kind of a thing. We end up going out to, to that camp. It ended up being one of the most unbelievable weeks of my life spiritually. There were so many moments where, where God grabbed a hold of my heart, where God reminded me of who he, who he was, where God strengthened my faith. I mean, there's so many moments that I look back on now during that week and went, man, that was unbelievable what God did. From a spiritual standpoint, it was unbelievable the things that God showed me about who I was and how he used me that week. Even from a, a, a money standpoint, that we ended up making enough, or I ended up walking away that week making more than I would have made if I would have worked that week at my job. So it worked out from that standpoint. But what, what blows me away the most is that that was the, the camp where I met my wife Angie at. Now, there are, there are often moments where I look back and I say, I thought that my plan was better. Like in hindsight, how ridiculous does it look that I put a temporary job where I made six fifty an hour that I probably wouldn't have worked at for another six months or a year up against the plans that God had for me even though I didn't know what they were. And I was the one trying to dictate to God what I would and wouldn't do. And he's sitting there going, look, if you just trust me, my plan is always better than your plan. What I have in store for you is always better than anything that you can come up with. And the only way that you're going to experience that is if you learn to fully surrender to me and allow me to do whatever I want to do. And God will bring us to those moments where we've got to determine in our mind, Jesus, do you have, do I, is, is all of my heart belong to you or just part of it? God, am I really willing to do anything and everything that you're asking me to do, no matter how ridiculous it may seem to me? There are often moments where Jesus is going to bring us to the point where we're going to have to answer that question. Psalm eighty four eleven b the psalmist says, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk along his paths. What God is promising us is that when we choose to surrender to him and and choose his paths, to walk down his paths, he will not withhold any good thing from us. That God's plans and the path that he has for us is always better than whatever plans that we may choose or whatever path we may take for ourselves. But the opposite is also true. If we follow... And surrender down the paths that God is leading us down, we will experience all the good things that God has for us. But if we selfishly hold on to our life, if we choose to do the things that we want, then it will lead to disappointment in our life. It will never turn out the way that we think that it's going to. It will never trump God's plan. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to that passage for just a minute. Matthew chapter 16, and there's something that I think... Is so incredibly profound that highlights this point that we're trying that we're talking about tonight. About choosing our plan versus choosing God's plan. In Matthew chapter sixteen, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And last week Cody talked a little bit about this passage and, and he's asking the, the disciples, he's saying, Hey, who do who do the people say that I am? Do they think I'm Elijah? They think I'm Moses, they think I'm this good teacher, they think I'm some crazy lunatic. Who are who are the people saying that I am? And the disciples are like, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say you're Moses, some say that you're this guy or that guy. And then Jesus makes it personal. And in verse 15, here's what he says. He says, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, meaning Peter, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. So he speaks this incredible truth over Peter's life. And listen to what he says in verse 21. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. And that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now listen to this. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen happened to you. Then Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now understand the significance of what's happening here. All right, we don't know necessarily if if these two stories are... Moments apart, or they're days apart, or weeks apart, or whatever. But within the context of a few verses, Peter goes from being called the rock, or Jesus building his church, using Peter to build the church. The church is going to change the world. In a few verses, from being called the rock, building the church on Peter, to being called Satan. Now how crazy is that? That, I mean, Peter must have been thinking, wait a minute, what are you you talking, you're calling me Satan, like you just said that you were going to build your church on me, you you said you were going to use me to do all these incredible things, what are you talking, why are you calling me Satan now? Now understand this, Uh, Peter's plan, or excuse me, God's plan was to use Peter's life to help build the church. Peter's plan for Peter, and for those around him, was to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. Now think about how significant that is. The difference between what God's plan was for Peter and what Peter's plan was. Peter, with all the good intentions that he possibly could have had, looked at the situation and what Jesus is saying going, God, w- Jesus, what are you saying you're going to the cross? What are you saying about suffering and dying and that the religious leaders are going to crucify you? That's crazy talk. Stop saying that. And it's almost like Jesus or, or Peter is saying, Look, not on my watch am I ever going to allow Jesus for them to do that to you. I will not allow them to touch you and to do those things that you're talking about. And with all the good intentions that Peter had, Peter, if his plan was successful, would have prevented Jesus from going to the cross. And if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross then all of us in this room would have never experienced the salvation that Jesus offered us through the cross. Peter thought that he had a great plan. Peter thought that it made sense in his own mind. And yet that shows the difference between what God's plan was to use Peter to build the church and what Peter's plan was to get in the way of what God had planned for Jesus and the event that would transform and change the world. Here's how it applies to you and to me. Within all of us is the capacity to accomplish great things for God or to live like Satan. Now, that might seem incredibly harsh and mean and all that kind of stuff. All right, And I'm not saying it about just you. It's about me too. Within all of us is the capacity either to accomplish incredible things for God's glory or for us to live our lives like Satan. We accomplish great things for God when we learn to deny ourselves. And we live like Satan when we decide to live for ourselves. The difference between whether or not we accomplish great things for God, or more specifically, God accomplishes great things for us, and whether or not we live our lives like Satan is self. The determining factor is self. Do we get in the way, even though we think that we've got great plans for our life or what we want to accomplish, do we get in the way of the plans that God has for us? Because within all of us is the capacity to either accomplish great things for God or to live like Satan. And either we deny ourselves and allow God to have free reign in our life and for his plans to have rule and and reign over our life and for him to dictate what happens to us. Or we hold on to our life and we decide what's in our best interest and we do what we want to do. And in the end, it leads to disappointment. And in that same passage, here's what Peter says, and, and Cody read it last week. He says, if you want to be my followers, you've got to deny yourself. Turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? for all of us, the the thought of denying ourselves does not sound attractive. And we think that we lose if we do that. And yet what Jesus says is that we lose if we don't. If we hold on to our life, we will lose it. And Jesus says, if you give up your life, you will save it. It goes back to the question that we were talking about early on. Does it I know that myself gets in the way. I know that God wants me to deny myself, but how is it going to turn out? Jesus makes the statement, if you hold on to your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Will it cost us? Absolutely. But what it will cost us pales in comparison to what we will gain. Now, to further illustrate this, this point, and just to, to kind of drive that point home further, I want to be able to make the parallel between what it will cost us and what it will gain us. All right, and I want to encourage you guys to write these things down. If we surrender our life to Jesus, it will cost us moments of suffering or pain. We will experience suffering in our life, and we will experience suffering or pain regardless of whether we surrender to God or not. But especially if we choose to surrender to God, we will experience moments of suffering and pain. God will allow us to go through situations that will test us. And it's not because he doesn't care about us. It's not because he's not a loving God. It's because he desires to, his plans ultimately are for our good. And what he wants us to do, even in those moments of suffering and pain, is to trust him. So it will cost us moments of suffering and pain but it will gain us a life of blessing it will gain us a life of blessing the second one it will cost us our plans for our life we will have to give up our plans and whatever however great they may seem we will have to surrender control of our plans for our life but it will gain us god's plans for our life it will cost us futile faith in ourselves That faith that will at some point, it will fail. That it will let us down. That we will fall short. That we will not be able to do everything ourselves. We will, it will cost us the faith in ourselves. But it will gain us dynamic faith in God. As we surrender to him, as we watch his plans unfold for our life, we will trust him. We will follow him. And our faith will be dynamic. We will watch and and be willing to even surrender even more To the plans that he has for us. And the last thing, it will cost us temporary happiness, but it will gain us eternal significance. It will cost us temporary happiness, but it will gain us eternal significance. Following Jesus will cost us everything that's temporary. But gain us everything that's eternal. Following Jesus will cost us everything that's temporary. Or everything that's insignificant. But it will gain us everything that's eternal. Or everything that's significant. Now think about it for your own life as we close up. How much sense does that make when we understand that picture? What it will cost us and what it will gain us. And is it really worth holding on to our temporary happiness... And our plans for our life and the, the faith in ourselves that at some point will fail. At the expense of the things that God has for us, the eternal significance, his plans for our life, a life of blessing for us to experience those things. Is it when you, when you weigh out the two, does it really make sense for us to hold on to our life so tightly? Or does it make sense to go, hey God, it's going to be difficult at times. It's going to cost me. God, it's going to be rough. But God, I'm fully surrendered to you. God, my life is yours. God, everything I own belongs to you. It is your plans. It is your kingdom. It is anything and everything that you want from my life. My life belongs to you. And then we watch as God's plan unfolds for our life. And as we surrender ourselves. And take up our cross and follow Jesus. We watch as God uses us to accomplish what we could never accomplish ourselves. That's why Jesus says, if you lose your life, you will gain it. As we close up tonight. I want you guys, for all of us, just to think about that question. Are we willing to deny ourselves? Are we willing to allow God to have every part of our life? Are we willing to put ourselves aside and allow God to dictate anything and everything that we do? Are we willing and ready to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Jesus? Maybe there's some of us in the room tonight that before we're ever able to surrender our life and our plans and our future and all that kind of stuff, we've got to come to a point where we've received the forgiveness that Jesus offers on the cross. That we've got to understand that Jesus paid the penalty for us, for our sin, and that our sin separates us from God. But because of what God has done for us on the cross, that we can be forgiven and maybe there's some of you guys in the room tonight that you have never experienced the forgiveness that Jesus is offering you. Maybe you've never admitted and confessed your sin before God and admitted that you needed him and what he's done for you on the cross. Maybe part of you hanging on to your life is you trying to earn salvation and God's favor by yourself. And you've tried to be good or you've tried to come to reckless or you've tried to do all these things so that you can earn God's favor, so that you can earn God's salvation. And there might be some of you in the room tonight that maybe the step that you need to take is for you to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers. For you to admit that you fall short. For you to admit that you need what Jesus has done for you. And to receive the forgiveness that he's offering you. I think there's a lot of us in the room tonight, as we've talked over the last couple weeks, that, man, you you know that you, you get in the way. You know that your plans aren't as good as God's plans. You know that God wants you to deny. But, man, it is so hard to release control of those areas of your life. Maybe for whatever reason, you've refused to do it because you're still determine that what you have is better for you. Or maybe you're scared about the future or you don't know what it's gonna cost you or you don't know what it's gonna mean for your life. And I believe there are some of you in the room tonight that what the next step for you to take is to go, God, my life is completely yours. Not part of it, but all of it. God, I'm giving you everything. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it worth it? Absolutely. When we fully surrender to God, we see God's plan unfold. And it is worth it. It's worth it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the students that are here. God, we thank you for who you are. God, I pray that you would enable all of us in this room, God, to fully surrender to you. God, that we would not just claim to be followers of you who all the time are trying to hang on to our life or trying to dictate to you what we will and won't do or try to do the things that we want to accomplish. God, I pray that we would 100% completely surrender that you would own our lives. And that we would surrender whatever dreams or plans or happiness or comfort that we may think that we need. And we would allow you to accomplish anything and everything that you want to do with our life. God, I pray if there are students in the room tonight who have never trusted you as their Savior. God, I pray tonight would be the night where they confess their need to you. They admit that that you are the only one that can forgive their sin. And they receive salvation through through what you've done on the cross. God, I pray that you would change who we are and that we would begin to experience all the things that you have for us because we learn to put ourselves on the shelf and serve you. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.